When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. On the Wolfpack Sports Network from Learfield IMG College, welcome to the Nevada Women's Basketball Podcast. Here's your host, Josh Sushan. Welcome back to the latest edition of Running With The Pack podcast about the Nevada women's basketball team. We are now up to episode number eight. A little bit later, head coach Amanda Levins will join us. She is up second, but this week we lead off with one of the best players in Wolfpack women's basketball history. She was a three-time all-conference selection. She was a three-time academic conference selection. She was the defensive player of the year as a junior And as a senior, she played from 2005 through 2009. She is the fourth all-time leading scorer in Nevada history. And last year, she was inducted into the Wolfpack Hall of Fame. We welcome Delina Kreiner to the podcast. Hello, Delina. Hey, good morning. Thank you, Josh. All right. So I just gave that introduction. When, When you think back to all of those things... Actually, let's start with the Hall of Fame. When I love finding out how people found out about an honor. How did you find out that you had been inducted into the Nevada Hall of Fame? Well, I remember last year uh, there was an article about uh, eligible eligible players. And uh, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then I found a little bit more history on how it works and what goes into the Hall of Fame. And I was like, you know, that would be a great honor. But it wasn't too much of a concern of mine. But uh, I read the article and I was like, okay, well, it puts me up this year. And that would be great. But, you know, it's rather new. And usually when you see Hall of Fame inductees, it's usually from a you know, decades ago, like uh, multiple decades or a century ago. So I was like, all right, well, at least I'm up there. And then uh, this year, this past year, 2020, uh, I saw another article go out about the probables. And I was like, okay, well, at least my name is still in the runnings. This is kind of interesting. And it's great that it was a lot that was in our class. So reading about everybody's history uh, was sort of exciting as well. 
And then uh, sure enough, I got a outreach by uh, Miss Rhonda and she told me about the information and she told me if I had a moment to talk about it and she gave me the great news. And I was like, I just can't believe it. So we talked a little bit over the phone. And then even after the conversation, I uh, just sent her a text and I was like, man, what an honor. You know, this is just amazing. And, you know, she was able to experience my four years at uh, Nevada. So that was great for her to actually deliver that news as well. Who's the first person that you tell once you have been informed that you were a member of a Hall of Fame? Oh, I had to tell my mom. Uh, my mom gets a little offended if she finds out through the grapevine. So <laughs> the first person I had to inform was my mom. I was like, okay, I've learned my lesson many times before because uh, she always hears whether it's through it's an article or maybe my family just being like, oh my gosh, did you guys hear? And then she's like, what? So she definitely doesn't like being on the back burner. So I think this is the first time I had to give her the news from, uh, you know, the, the horse's mouth kind of thing. So she was definitely the first person I called and, and she was elated. When you hear an honor like the Hall of Fame, how much do you reflect upon what your career was like at Nevada? And if so, what are the, the, the dominant themes that come to your mind? Honestly, uh, just when you were just reading the introduction, you know, it sort of gives me chills. You know, it, it's honestly a, a great accomplishment for sure. But uh, it, it reminds me of all the hard days that are literally just paying off. You know, uh, a lot of the things that were done then and even that are doing, done now in my life, I, I don't do them for necessarily accolades or a pat on the back. But when you do get that recognition, it's just an amazing honor. It's a, it's a humbling experience. It's just a it's, it's amazing. It's a, it's a great feeling that just, you know, sends chills down your bones. Let's go back to when you were, I don't know, 17 years old, maybe 16 years old, when you were on your recruiting trip to Nevada, what do you remember about coming to Reno and your recruiting visit? Uh, I had no experience. I had no experience in the recruiting atmosphere and uh, the environment and what to expect or anything like that. I remember my uh, head coach from uh, my Oakland high school, we drove up, we drove up together and uh, I remember coming and looking at the facilities and just being this kid from Oakland and just, you know, being in wow of amazement. You know, uh, like I said, I didn't have many opportunities or uh, uh, scholarships that were offered to me. So it was one that I was trying to, you know, hold and hold tight and dear to. So at the time and moment, my eyes were just in, in wonder and just uh, inquiry. And it was just an eye opening experience. I spent some time working in Oakland and living in Oakland myself. I, I used to write for the Oakland Tribune a billion years ago. Oh, wow. um, I, I covered high school sports before you would have been there. It looks like we, I'm looking at the timeline and I think we would have like just missed one another, but some of my fondest memories are covering high school sports in Oakland just because of just the passion. And there's just, there's an edge, like a, like a lovely edge about athletes from Oakland and everything that they have to overcome. So what do you think, it was about growing up in Oakland and playing basketball in Oakland that 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 made you the type of basketball player that you became. Um, I think, like you said, just that uh, it, it gives a, a different add to the game. It's just um, it's hard to describe. There's that, you know, sort of like a love hate relationship. I think the game has definitely brought me to uh, have relationships with people that have helped me in my future. Definitely uh, rooting and coming from Oakland, but uh, having that grit and that grind and that not give up mentality has definitely allowed me to endure while I was playing my collegiate years at Nevada, you know, uh, knowing that, you know, there, there, there is a possibility if this is what I wanted to do, you know, I, I made it this far, there's, this is something that's going to definitely allow me to endure and keep going and keep pushing. Do you remember... And if you don't, it's okay. But do you remember specifically where you were when you signed your scholarship that you were going to be a division one athlete and this is your scholarship? Do you remember where you were and who was around you? 
I do not specifically. I do not. Uh, again, I was that kid from Oakland, and this was my first opportunity and my ticket to get out of there. I was like, you know, where where's the dotted line in the pen? <laughs> and you know, I I remember saying, you know, uh, it, my class of two thousand five was huge from Oakland. Uh, we had uh, Alexis Gray Lawson, Devin A. Hampton, Ashley Walker. These kids going to Cal, Pac ten schools at the time, and you know USC. And then here I am going to you know a mid major in Nevada. But I still took my situation as one of the best in the world. I mean, it was a it, it was a life changing event for me, you know. And for those players that I just uh, aforementioned or whatnot, uh, they didn't belittle me or they didn't look anything about it. It was all it was all of us coming together. And um, I remember specifically saying that I wanted to have a special pen, a pen that I would keep with me, and this was going to be my ticket and you know my way out to you know be, have the best experience in, in life in, in the world kind of thing. But uh, I couldn't tell you uh, where I was, but uh, I just remember having that feeling and uh, not that spirit of comparison, but that spirit of family that we were all, you know, taking a step further in our life experiences. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love I love hearing that. And and again, I think that goes to show the bond amongst Oakland athletes and the way that they compete like heck uh, on the floor, but then just how much respect they have uh, for each other and want to encourage each other and follow each other and and always wanting to represent the city. Um, Definitely. Was there like an eye-opening experience for you, like one way or the other, like, uh-oh, this is a different level, or no, I got this level. Like, I'm going to be able to make this adjustment from high school to college ball. Oh, definitely. You know, uh, I've, I've always been a, a humble player. I don't speak on the court too much. I, I, my leadership roles was definitely by example. Uh, I'm not a vocal person and things like that. So internally, I thought, you know, coming from Oakland, you know, I'm this good point guard. I, I felt like I was good and I could create things and things like that. So when I came to Nevada, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a starting point guard. This is this is going to be easy. You know, uh, they, they wanted me. They chose me. I'll give them the best. And I, I am the best. That's how I felt. So I remember uh, shortly into starting practicing and, you know, uh, our preseason and things like that, I could barely complete a mile. You know, I'm this kid from Oakland. I, I would show up to games, you know, 20 minutes before game time, play my game, do great and go home. You know, this was a, a totally different eye opener. I mean, we're there, you know, 20 minutes before practice even starts. We're, we're talking about how we're going to we're going to have a, a great attitude or, or whatnot. And I remember specifically thinking like I was going to come in, uh, take the starting position and everything was going to be great. And it was uh, Tracy Graham who I ran into. And she was a starting point guard at the time. And she definitely made sure that she was going to stay that way. <laughs> Uh, she didn't back down. She pushed me to be the hardest. Uh, she she didn't give me any leeway whatsoever. And I kept telling myself, like, I'm going to start. And that definitely wasn't the case. It wasn't until midway uh, through my freshman year when I, I got the starting role. And uh, it was definitely eye opening. I mean, she beat me in practice. She would knock the ball out of my hand. She had me have a shutdown moment. It, it was definitely uh, something different, you know, and that was uh, my internal battle. And that's just within my team. That's not even against other teams or anything like that. So that was something that I had to overcome. And I thought that I could go in the land and, you know, make these layups like I was in high school. But then now you're playing against six, two girls who could actually move and block. So I remember going in all the time and just turning the ball over and thinking I could just go against these giants. And, you know, it was actually Coach Levins who told me I had to develop a mid-range game. I had to create for other people. It's not just about me, you know, kind of thing. So it, it was definitely an eye-opener for sure. I was going to ask you about Amanda Levins um, at some point, and since you just brought her up, let, let, let's go down that road right now. Uh, she was the assistant coach at the time. Tell us about your relationship with her and how she helped you and 
just sort of like, you know, like what that relationship was, what was like back then? Uh, back then, uh, she was the assistant coach and you had a uh, coach Kim Jeversoni for the most part. And you would think like, you know how I uh, think of like a good cop, bad cop kind of thing. You would uh -huh. think, you know, coach Jeversoni would be the bad cop and then you would have uh, coach Levins be the good cop. But it wasn't like that. It was like bad cop, bad cop. You would think like, all right, so Coach Jeffersoni would get on your back and then you have somebody pick you up a little bit. But I think what Coach Levins would do was explain it to terms or try to put you in reality to say like, you can do this. You will endure this. And this is how you're going to do it. You know, like Coach Jeffersoni will get down your throat for the most part and try to push you to uh, beyond belief. And Coach Levins will be right there with you. And, and that's what made the difference. She was able to perform the different things that was being requested of us. And we were able to actually see it and implement it. And I think that's what allowed us to give a lot of respect and a lot of, you know, just dedication towards that. When she would pull us to the side and still harp on us and still be there and be in our ear. I think that's really what made the difference, especially for me, you know, because uh, I'm not sure what kind of player I would be if uh, somebody just being like, it's OK, you know, you turn the ball over. It's all right. Like, don't worry about it. But she was like, no. The, the ball is in your hand. This is your responsibility, you know? And I think that's what definitely made a difference for me as a player specifically. When you mentioned that Amanda told you you need to develop a mid-range game, tell us about that process and, and what you were able to, like the work that you had to put in, but also just figuring out, okay, these are my spots on the floor where I can score. This is where I can pass to my teammates and being able to develop that mid-range game. It starts off to, you know, uh, like I said, being a leader. And I told you my skills were leading by example. And she understood that. So, you know, she told me as a point guard, you know, you have to be the, you know, the first one in and the last one out. You hear that all the time. It's sort of like a cliche for sports. But Coach Levins actually meant that and she wanted you to implement that. So I tried my best to always do that. I, I mean, it, I was in there all the time. And even if I wasn't in there, I was in there with the men's basketball program, right? Just watching them in the stands, whether it was Coach Fox coaching or, you know, watching, you know, Marcellus Kemp, Ramon Sessions, JaVale McGee. And just watching their style and tactics and just learning different things. And it's whether it's their, their work ethic or actually skills. So I think that was uh, something that helped turn a little bit of a wheel in my head. And, you know, Levins was always emphasizing like it's the little things. That mid-range thing is the little things that separates you and the women's game. It's not something that is very common in the women's game. But once you get it and you can elevate from it, it definitely makes a difference. And she just had this little drill where you would start literally underneath the basket and you just take, you know, make three shots in a row, you take a step back, three shots in a row, take a step back. And that was just a warm up. And dang near by the time you're done with the warm up, you're shooting half court shots by <laughs> and making three in a row, you know, and I'm just like, this is the expectations that she had for us. And, and like I said, she made it a reality and it did become a reality and it, it elevated my game. It made such a difference, a night and day difference. You just mentioned a lot of great players from Nevada history on, on the men's side, whether it's them or whether it's your teammates on, on the women's side. Um, how many of them do you kind of follow, whether it's from social media or you've been able to see here or there that you're still able to stay in contact with who were from um, your time with the Wolfpack? Uh, not necessarily too much contact. You know, I, I feel like uh, they're out living their best life right now, and I'm all for that. I'm 100% support, and I'll be a cheerleader in their corner. But uh, I do follow them whatsoever, and I mean, all the time. And it's kind of amazing to be like, man, who would have ever thought, you know, like, like I said, you know, watching them in practice, I'm like, geez, now look at them. I can't imagine what their daily routine is like. And that's what I think of because that's what we had in college, right? We had a routine, we had a schedule, we had time management. And now at this level for them, I'm like, geez, Louise, what does it look like now kind of thing, you know? 
But uh, again, you know, I was always that just silent person in the corner watching them. And now it's the same thing. And uh, I'll definitely be 100% cheerleader for them. And that's just, it's, it's great to see, you know, N Nevada develop so many players in that aspect, whether it's football, basketball, tennis, golf, or, or, you know, rifling, anything like that. You know, it's just amazing to see people progress and continue to go on. When you think back to your your career, is there a game? Is there a moment? Is there a season? What, what are some of the, the most special reflections that you have when you're just proud of yourself, your teammates, whatever like makes you feel just like most proud of, of what you guys were able to accomplish? Um, a lot of times it's when I watch other games and I try to reflect it back to how I played or when I was in a game. And then I'll go back to maybe a specific game and I'll try to think of things that triggered it, you know, like maybe it was a halftime conversation that, you know, the coaches had with us, or maybe it was an interaction on the bench when you're sitting on the bench trying to figure out like, what is going on? How do I put these pieces together? Like, what am I doing wrong? Or what do I need to, you know, stay positive about and things like that? Or, you know, what is it with my teammates? You know, what is their, their off? What, how do I set them up for success as a point guard? You know, so I think of things like that and, I think of it when I compare to, you know, uh, like I said, games that I watch on TV or high school games. And I'm just like, man, if you could just get this little niche, I could see you propel to that next level, you know? So uh, it's kind of crazy to be involved and witness it in that way. So I think uh, different flashbacks of moments like that and just being a, a team player is just huge. You know, like uh, I said, those relationships that you develop are, are some that you'll, you'll hold in dear tight to. So let's talk about what you're up to these days. Um, I know, but for people who are not familiar, what, what are you doing with your life these days? Uh, right now, I'm a, a Las Vegas fire and rescue uh, firefighter. I am pursuing to be a paramedic. I've been a firefighter for about uh, nearly four years now and uh, just serving my community and giving back. Uh, it's just something that I wanted to do that would challenge myself physically and mentally and also have that uh, team camaraderie that I'm definitely uh, you know, missing from the basketball realm and uh, just challenging myself in uh, ways that I never thought I would. And uh, it's just a great opportunity. Yeah, you know, um, it, it's kind of cliche when we talk about sports and how the lessons that you learn on, on the court translate into life after you're done playing. But the reason why it's cliche is because it's true. So if you don't mind, maybe kind of explain just how being a part of a team helps you now with what you're doing for Las Vegas Fire and Rescue. Yeah, the, the biggest thing, I, when I think of that, I think of uh, Coach Albright. You know, she said, uh, you know, this is more than a game. And there are so many different intangibles that I have learned as a, a person that I've been able to relate to my real life that, I mean, I, I owe nothing but to Nevada for that. You know, whether that's communication, accepting criticism, uh, being a team member, you know, uh, being quiet and just getting it done, you know, uh, working hard, putting in more than what's expected of you. And all that, like I said, I contribute nothing but to Nevada. And uh, I would say the challenges that I have faced and overcome uh, have definitely been just through, you know, running a 16, you know, running a, a 22, running fives, whatever it is, like just knowing that, you know, that mind over matter kind of thing. And I remember when I graduated uh, the fire academy and you asked about the first person I tell. I reached out immediately to Coach Levins. And at the time, I'm not sure if she was the Nevada head coach then or not, but I immediately just sent her a text. And I was like, I, I, I owe this to you. You know, you pushed me beyond belief. I can't imagine, you know, not going through Nevada's program and going through this experience and getting through it. You know, the things that she's taught me, you know, whether it's mentally or just being able to, like I said, lead, lead again by example, I definitely owe a lot of that to her. One of my good friends from high school is a firefighter, and there's two times that I did a ride along with him. 
and um you know, I guess they call it the, the jinx of the ride along where nothing happens and, and then yeah. nothing <laughs> happens because that means that no one's house got <laughs> right. or anything like that. But I spent a lot of time, you know, just like hanging out and telling stories, swapping stories. And at one point, you know, they had a hoop. And so we were just goofing around waiting for a call and we're playing horse or we're playing, you know, putting up some shots. Um, yeah. During the downtime, when you're waiting for those calls, what do you and your coworkers do? Do you get up shots or, or, or what's it like in there? It's kind of funny you say that because, uh, you know, now that I, I have this uh, Hall of Fame on my back to a certain extent, uh, it's definitely circulated around the department. So the biggest thing about uh, the fire department is, like I said, that that home away from home feeling. Right. It's our second family, because for uh, us specifically, we're there 48 hours with the same group of people and we have to trust each other. Right. So it's best that we get to know each other on different levels to try to get an understanding of who we are as a person. So. Uh, people know that I have a pass to basketball. So literally everybody that I run into, they want to play one-on-one. They want to play, you know, best of 10. They want to play, you know, knockout. They want to shoot from, you know, the other side of the court. And I'm just like, I don't think you guys understand. Like I, I go zero to 100. Like if we're going to play, we're going to play kind of thing. But then it's like, all right, you guys have to understand you guys are grown men. You know what I'm so like, you know, you guys don't have any experience other than like maybe like YMCA and no offense, but let's be honest here. Like, are you guys serious? You want to play right now? So <laughs> It's kind of funny you say that we uh we use that as a coping mechanism too. It's we have like a flat ball, a broke hoop, and we're still out there shooting, you know, no net, and we're just we're just having a blast. But yeah, the challenge comes every single day, and it's and they know that I don't want to play, so they they I think that's what nags them to just keep going more and more and more and wanting to play. So it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, uh, I think no matter what the sport or what the occupation, if you hear that someone's a Hall of Famer and it's a coworker, then it's like, all right, well, let me see how I compete against the Hall of Famer. Exactly, right? <laughs> right? exactly. Uh, are you able to, to get out and get in some any kind of like real run, you know, in a gym or anything like that, or still be able to play some basketball these days where it's not just a coworker who wants to uh, relive his high school glory? Yeah, exactly. Um, so we have a, a league out here uh, in Las Vegas. I call it the old lady league, uh, but it's called a uh, heroes basketball and they emphasize on the H.E.R. part of it. And it's a program that uh, we have that we play on Sundays. And there's maybe about uh, eight different teams in the like little diamond division, which I'm a part of. And then there's like maybe eight teams that are in the uh, other division. And it's kind of cool because there's games that are ran all day that's ran uh, by a lady named Jen. And she helps uh, with the community as well, Las Vegas. You know, she runs it for local high school teams and stuff like that. And also for girls to get out in regards to training. And she does a lot of outreach with uh, the Las Vegas Aces. But uh, I try to, you know, get in con- stay in condition for the most part by playing basketball on Sundays. And uh, I also refereed. But a lot of things have slowed up a little bit with, uh, you know, the whole COVID situation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also help uh, participate in part of a board program called Drop and Dimes that's based out of the Bay Area. And they do a little bit more, like I said, more than a uh, more than a game. They help with, uh, you know, ACT, SAT prep. They help with uh, financial situations and things like that. And uh, it's it's just an outreach program that helps with training and playing and uh, placing girls uh, for uh, collegiate opportunities. And that's drop and dime. So I participate in that as well. So getting involved in many different aspects is definitely something that I like to do because uh, I definitely haven't let it go at all. You know, I'm still texting Coach Levins, talking about different players on the teams and asking her how she, you know, thought about this or this run and things like that, that she's experienced. And surprisingly and gratefully, she, she actually responds back and we have a great conversation about it. But uh, it's what a world to be in right now with this whole COVID situation and pandemic. But I, I commend the girls for 
you know, the girls and the programs and the schools that are still participating and still letting this uh, not necessarily put a damper on things and or overcoming different challenges that have that have happened. Let me go back to dropping dimes a little bit more. When you see the impact that you can make on on someone who's whether it's, you know, from your hometown, from your area and may not have all the information about how it works, about you know, making sure that you pass, you know, the, this, you know, that you get this score on this SAT or this ACT, like you mentioned, just give us more details about just what that means to you be able to give back to the community and the impact that you can have on others. Uh, it's great. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's time consuming. You know, this is something that uh, you, you definitely have to have instilled in you because, you know, you could definitely busy yourself up with other things to do, but dropping dimes is literally uh, how it sounds. It's D-R-O-P-P-I-N dimes.com. And it's literally just to serve the game, grow the game, and giving back through life-changing experiences. Uh, there's different, uh, like I said, tournaments that happen, tryouts that happen, uh, a lot of different connections. It's ran by uh, a lady named Renee Robinson, who is like this all-time leader in the Bay Area. Uh, I think she's only won- lost like two games in her entire life. I don't understand or how that I could even relate to something like that. Uh, so it's, it's ran by her. And she played at a uh, University of Virginia. So from the Bay Area, went all the way across to uh, University of Virginia, played overseas, played in the WNBA. And now she's just giving back to her community. And she's reached out. Like I said, that community love from the Bay Area is just amazing. And uh, a lot of people get together and we just try to help the youth and uh, organizations within, whether that's uh, doing fundraisers. Uh, like I said, there's a SAT and ACT prep. There's books that are provided to the kids uh, to help them with that. Uh, There's actually teachers that come in to help with like little study skills and things like that. She just did a webinar for uh, uh, a financial portion, which talked about uh, not necessarily stocks and bonds, but budgeting. Right. Uh, Some kids get some money and, you know, what are we going to do about to get some candy or buy some apps or, you know, buy some music or something like that. Right. So it talked about a lot of different avenues that you could do with your money, especially at a, a young age. And now we're reaching out to uh, Danielle Robinson, who's from uh, the Bay Area as well. And she's uh, actually currently in the WNBA. I think she's been there maybe eight or nine years and uh, just trying to get some feedback from her. And we're going to try to get to her to talk to the kids about, you know, building relationships and not burning bridges. Because, you know, nowadays, some kids, they might run into challenges in regards to, you know, uh, playing time and they just want to jump teams because they're not getting enough playing time as opposed to working hard and things like that. So we're trying to instill that into them to, you know, hopefully they could take that and either take it for themselves or spread it to other people. And hopefully that helps. All right, Delina, I love this conversation. I feel like I could keep talking with you uh, more and more. At some point, I want to talk more about Oakland basketball with you in person. Um, once the pandemic is done, um, I know of course, that, no problem. Yeah, I know that the, 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 not able to have the usual Hall of Fame uh, celebration uh, because of the pandemic, but I know that the university is working toward being able to do that at some point in 2021. So I hope that you can make it back to Reno for that. And again, that we can talk in person a little bit more. But this was awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Of course, Josh, I appreciate it. And thank you for your time. And I look forward to meeting you in person as well. Once again, that is Hall of Famer Delina Kreiner. She played for the Wolfpack from 2005 through 2009. We'll go ahead and take a break here on Running with the Pack. And when we come back, we'll be joined by head coach Amanda Levins. We'll talk about analytics, the past series at Boise State, and this upcoming very long road trip where we're going to play at Air Force for two and at Colorado State for two as well. This is Running with the Pack. The constant energy, the tight turns and bustle of the city. Some survive it, others were made to conquer it. 
The first ever Lexus UX and UX F Sport crossovers are crafted for those who were made for the city. UX, starting at 32,000. See Dolan Lexus. MSRP excludes delivery, processing, and handling fee of $1,025, which may be subject to change at any time. Excludes taxes, title, license, and optional equipment. Dealer price will vary. Episode 8 of Running with the Pack continues, and we now bring in head coach Amanda Levins to join us. Amanda, I just got finished speaking with Delina, and as we were coming up with possible guests for this podcast, you and Katie both gave me recommendations, and I would hear names and see their information and think like, yeah, okay, that's probably going to be a pretty good guest. And then you get finished speaking to somebody, and this has been the case with everybody, but especially with Delina, what just an amazing person she is, not just what she accomplished as a basketball player, but what she's doing with her community wow like what is what just an amazing person she is yeah and I just feel so fortunate to have coached her and you know had um that time with her on the court off the court and obviously to stay in touch with her she's you know somebody in my life that I still talk to and um yeah sometimes as coaches you maybe help people and you know um can help develop them and sometimes they really inspire you and I think Delina is definitely a player that I'm fortunate to have coach that still continues to inspire me. Do you happen to remember the first time that you saw her? Were you part of recruiting her or when she first stepped on campus? What you know, I, I like to go like where it started and where it ended up. So what do you remember about where it started with Delina and the Wolfpack? Yeah, I remember recruiting her. I remember like Jim's watching her in with her AAU team. Like, yeah, it still memories because she was somebody that our head coach was like absolutely sold on like we have to get this player and I worked with the guards a lot as an assistant coach and it was like you better make sure that we get Delina Kreiner and you know she actually verbally committed to us and then she took it back because she wanted to see if she would get other options um, by playing in like the month of July and I remember you know we were so high so excited and then all of a sudden you're so low like oh what does this mean are we going to end up you know getting her and she played it out and went through the process a little bit more but she did end up committing um, to us here at Nevada. And at that time, you know, we were really still building, like we, we had not had a successful program um, and we were really selling her on the vision. Like if you come here, these are the things you can help us do. And she was obviously an impact player right off the bat. Um, still one of the best defenders I think I've ever seen. She could guard the ball 94 feet and keep it in front of her and not require any help. Like her defensive stance is textbook perfect. Um, but, and then she really developed her offensive game. She was a really uh, great to the basket player coming out of high school and she developed and trusted her perimeter shot and put it in all the time. So it was awesome to see her have such success. Yeah. She told us about how when she was a freshman, she would go up for these layups and realize, okay, this isn't high school anymore. I'm going to get blocked. And, and, <laughs> and she said how you told her you need to develop your mid-range game, that you need to work on these things. So what, what were the, some of the things that, that you did with, with Delina in order to, to give her confidence and, and figure out where you know, that mid-range game would come from? Yeah. And I think, I mean, we're a similar size and in high school I kind of played like she did like I got I could get to the basket that stuff was fouls and then you get to college and all of a sudden 
the people you're running into are a lot bigger and stronger and that stuff isn't fouls anymore. And so to make your life easier, you just have to get into open spaces and, you know, shoot closer shots that, and then the three point range, if you can hit the three, you know, people have to take your space and now you can put it on the floor and for her, like really play to her strengths. So, you know, the fact that she really was coachable and said, you know what, I want to get better. I want this to be easier. And how do I grow and develop? You know, she was always such a coachable player. It's one thing when, when you develop a relationship with a player, uh, when they're still active and then once they go on and they stop playing basketball and Delina went and played uh, overseas a little bit and now she's a firefighter and she told us about how when she finished the school um, and it was official that she sent you a text. What does it mean for you as a coach when you're able to hear about your former players who are succeeding in something that's not basketball? Just so proud, you know, and we know in women's basketball, there's not really these multi-million dollar contracts where you play for a while and then you're set for life. And so we always preach to them at some point, the ball is going to stop bouncing for you, whether that's in college or whether that's after your professional career and you need to be ready to do what's next. And so we try to do a lot of development outside of just school and basketball with our players to teach them skills that they're going to need to be successful, you know, in their personal life and professional life. Um, and for Delina, she kind of had a, a different path with uh, her career. You know, she actually, I think, majored in finance or accounting and got a job at a desk, like doing Excel spreadsheet stuff. And she was miserable. She's like, oh my gosh, like I hate what I'm doing every day, even though she was really set on that major. Um, and then now she's, you know, pursuing her career in firefighting and I, she's going to be amazing. She's going to be a captain because she's an amazing leader and she's such a hard worker. So I just think like with, with that and being active, it's a great fit, but I use her story with our players of like, make sure, you know, like this is what you want to do because you can spend four years with your mind set on this, but if you never go in job shadow or do an internship, you don't really know like what the day-to-day -day is really like. So the idea of the profession might be really enticing, but until you have to kind of live in that environment on a daily basis, like you don't really ever know. So we really encourage internships and encourage like check out what you're investing all this time in. Um, but with her, I just, I've loved staying in touch with her every time I hear from her, you know, obviously it just fills me up because I just am so fond of her and so proud of her. And, um, yeah, it was nice to stay in touch with her as she graduated and then went on in her, you know, professional playing days and then in her, you know, post-basketball career. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. And I've, I've told you in a text message that I've had on my list for potential topic <laughs> is analytics. And so I feel like, okay, uh, we, we've got a little bit enough of a sample size here that we can maybe get into this. Um, I, I think that analytics are interesting. I, I think a big part of it is sample size because I think you can really get tricked by the numbers in, until you have a large enough sample size. What have you found? What works and what doesn't work when it comes to your program? So one of the best things I've ever heard about analytics, I was at a coaching clinic and they were talking about the NBA and it, this was when Kevin Garnett, um, I think was with the thunder and there, and somebody was speaking about, Hey, if you chart out in an analytics format, like who our best pull-up jump shooter is, it's some, it's this guy. Like I can't even remember his name because he wasn't a well-known name. And they're like, he's a better pull-up jump shooter than Kevin Durant. And he's like, but if the ball, I have to pick who shoots our last shot from a pull-up jump shooter. Do you think I'm picking Joe Smith or do you think I'm picking Kevin Durant? <laughs> so they're like analytics don't always equal like what you would do in the moment and kind of your coaching decisions, but they are good. I think in a lot of ways um, for us, there's certain things that we chart that are specific to our program that are important. Um, and we feel like they correlate to us having success. And then, you know, you can do an analytic for 
anything anymore. You know what I mean? These five players, what are their, what are their plus minus systems? Um, you know, how many shots per possession or sorry, possessions are you getting with this lineup in? And it can almost become like too much. So I think as coaches, we need to decide like what's important to the way that we want to play. And then you study that stuff and you really look at that stuff hard. And for me in the off season, I'm always looking at what are other people doing? Cause I want to do it better. You know, so it's just interesting to learn how other people take the data, how they apply it to their team. Um, but I'll tell you, like when our players first come in and we're talking about data, they look at us like we're speaking another language. They're just like, what do you mean points per possession? What, I, I, you know, I can make two or I can make three or I can make one free throw. What do you mean our points per possession is like 0.75? And so we have to teach them a little bit like what that equates to. And points per possession is something this year with our team that we've talked about more offensively and defensively. And the longer that we've been using it, I think they really get a good understanding of like when our points per possession is higher in this game, that means we had quality possessions. You know what I mean? That means mm -hmm. that we're taking good shots that we can make and we're also taking care of the ball. And if the, if our opponent, theirs is lower, it means that all these things. So I think it, the longer that you're doing something, the better understanding your team's going to have of it. But I think it's easy to just do too many things and worry about too many things. And then all of a sudden you're not really good at anything. Does analytics help you more scouting another team or is it still just letting you know what's working for your own team? I think it definitely helps us with scouting, you know, in there's a program called synergy now that pretty much everybody uses. And so they take every game and they break it down. And so right now we could look at air force. I could pull them up right now and tell you how many possessions they've played of zone, how many possessions they've played a man, how many times they've pressed. And then on the other side, same thing, like how many times have they been played zone? So sometimes those numbers are nice and quick and easy to find. And they also break down players tendencies, like how effective are they, off the pick and roll and you can pull all their clips off the pick and roll. So they've really simplified your access to getting information, not just the data, but the film to back it up. Like here, watch all of their clips on, on this. And this will show you that they don't score well when they're, you know, catching and shooting, for example. By the way, for if, if fans are kind of curious about this and, and for some, they're just like, whatever, I just want to watch the game. Um, but you know, the, 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 the tweets that go out before every game that say, you know, this is how you can follow along with the stats. Once the game is over, you start clicking buttons and there's analytics where you can kind of break into break down certain things. And, and I know there's a couple of things that, that I find interesting and I'm curious just your thoughts on, on the two that I'm going to give you. Cause I don't want to go too deep into the weeds on this, but other stuff that you find number one, I find um, assist rate because Kind of like in hockey where mm -hmm. multiple people can get an assist on a goal, but in basketball, just one. But sometimes it's the pass that leads to the pass that or right. that helps you score. And then the other one is defensive rating, where basically you mentioned points per possession. Like, what is your defensive rating when you're on the floor? So maybe I'm curious about whether what you think about those two or if there's any others that, that really stand out for you. The defensive rating, I, for us, we, we always chart like who gets stops, what combination is part of like getting the stops in the game kind of thing. Um, and we talk about the stuff we stat too is like on ball defense. Like how much do you require help as an individual, you know, and give them feedback like, Hey, I got to guard the ball better type thing. Um, and we also chart like percentage of rebounds, you know, like, so how many, what's our percentage of, of rebounds that we get on offense? What's the percentage of rebounds that we get on defense? You know, so those are some things that are, really important to us. And we value, we talk about, we reward, we actually do a sticker system. Um, the players really like them. We do it. We keep them on our binders. And that was an idea I got from like football, like how football puts them on their helmets. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I just think like, it's just important to find what, what are the things that you value, you know, within your program and the assist thing too, like there's games where we're not good defensively and the other team doesn't have any assists. Right. And I'm like, okay, 
and I, you could ask our team, like, why is that? And they're like, well, they're just taking us one-on-one, you know what I mean? And then there's other games where they have a lot of assists and, you know, we're not good defensively. And it's like, well, why is that happening? And it's like, well, we're getting beat on ball and we're requiring a lot of help and we're not getting back matched up. So I think like the assist stuff, it could be low and it could be high, but it could be for the same reason that you're not good defensively, which I think is interesting. And so in those situations, it's addressing the issue of like, what's hurting you, you know, and it could be different things based on the team that you're playing. Last question about this topic. When you're thinking about synergy and um, that, that program, does it give you a good idea of, okay, who's our best five on offense or who's our best five on defense, especially for late game situations like we talked about last week? We don't use synergy for that, but I would say it's that we figure that out through like repetition. And honestly, like in the games, like who has success in those moments and in, and in maybe that individual game, like who's playing well in that game and what are our matchup things? And I think our team this year, we've really played like we have like seven or eight starters. And so I think when you get in our top group, that's that deep, like any of those people on the floor, I feel like are going to be confident. We would trust them in those moments. Um, but yeah, there's definitely data available for that. Like in the last minute of the game, these five are your best, mm-hmm. you know, but it goes back to that Kevin Durant thing. Like maybe those five have have had success in moments, but also as a coach, you have to trust like your practice time. You have to trust like what you, what you think is best for your team. Yeah. And that's when you get the ball to Deja Hamilton so that she can win the game for you. you <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. So let's look ahead to this, uh, to this monster road trip. We're going to be in the state of Colorado for, I think, uh, nine days, parts of nine days. We're going to play four games. There's going to be a back-to-back at Air Force and then two days until we play two games in three days at Colorado State. Mentally, are you thinking about this as like it's one big trip or are you trying to break it into two trips in order to kind of just help you mentally uh, prepare for this epic long trip? To be completely honest, I just take it one day at a time. Okay. You know what I mean? I'm like, today we have practice and we need to get better. Um, look at practice that day, go to practice the next day, et cetera. Um, I think when we get to the back-to-backs, like as soon as the first game is over, it's all about recovery. How do we get our team energized and ready to go out? and play their best mentally and physically the next day. And we've only played one um, back-to-back, so that'll be a little bit different for us. And I think it's a challenge for our team mentally and physically, and we really need to have our depth ready because we're going to altitude. You know, you're playing a quick turnaround probably within about 30 hours, and so that's that's huge. And then um, in terms of talking about Colorado State before Air Force, we don't really do that. Like we try to focus on one team at a time and then we'll have like Wednesday, Thursday before we play on Friday, Sunday. So having two days in between is, is a good amount of time, I think, to switch gears for the next opponent. Um, but I was dropping my kids off at school today and um, the woman that works in the lunchroom, she's she's a doll. But she was just like, oh, you're going to Colorado. It's so beautiful this time of year. <laughs> And I was like, Miss Laura, you know, we really go to the gym, go to the hotel. She's like, but the views, the views out of the hotel room, you know, and it just reminded me that we're, we're, we need to be grateful that we're playing. We need to be grateful that we're traveling. And we are, we're going to a beautiful place and our team gets to spend time together again. And so that's awesome. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned elevation and this is a big deal for the, for the California schools when they, when they go to the mountains and certainly we're at a pretty high elevation, but Colorado Springs is, is, is another level. How much does that have to factor in uh, to, to your, to your planning in terms of uh, like everything um, arrival, eating, rest, you know, practice, hydration, all that kind of stuff. Even when you're going from one high elevation city to an even bigger elevation city. Yeah. Well, we're lucky that we're playing on a Monday, Tuesday. And so we, we can leave Saturday and not miss school and try to get like two practices in to try to get us as accustomed to it as we can. I do think being hydrated is like the most important thing. Like if you're dehydrated, you don't have a chance. And so we really talk to our players about their hydration 
in their nutrition leading up into the game. And for me, when we go to higher elevations, I'm always uh, maybe a little more hyper aware of subbing and how long players are playing in rotations, especially early in the game, because I think if they get fatigued early, it's hard to recover. And so we just want to be really mindful of how we sub, how long we let them play early in the game and try to keep them as fresh as possible. And then I feel like our players are, they're in great shape. And so once they get their wind and they kind of get settled in, they don't feel it nearly as much, but I think early in the game, it can really hit you like a ton of bricks. If you, if you get too fatigued. I don't know how much coaches look into this stuff, but us in the media are constantly looking at standings and where seeds might break down for the conference tournament and all that. And when I look at the standings right now, you're in seventh place. You're only one game back of Wyoming. You would have the, the, the tiebreaker because you swept Wyoming. And this year, because San Jose State has opted out, we're looking at six that would get a bye, and then the bottom four would play to get into the quarterfinals. How much of a, of a goal would it be? How much are you looking at if we can get into the top six and avoid having to play the first game so we'd only have to play three instead of four? Yeah. I mean, our goal is to get the highest possible place, you know, and personally for me, I always want to finish in the top four, you know, and I try not to look too much at the standings because everybody else is out of our control. And so I just try to stay tunnel visioned on like, what do we need to do to go and be successful at air force and try to take it one game at a time and win the game in front of us. And, you know, that's the only way you can move up is to win the games you have. And, you know, you hope some other people can beat some people that can help you with that, but given that too much energy, you know, all of a sudden you can become like a crazy person. Like how did this team not beat whatever, you know, but you know, every matchup's different. And for us, I mean, obviously that'd be fantastic to have a first round by, we haven't had that, you know, since, since I've been here. Um, but I will say like having played the first day, I feel like that's helped us. It's kind of gotten out some jitters and we've um, been able to win that game and go into the next game and play pretty well. Um, but I think where we want to go as a program, that needs to be our expectation is that we're finishing in the top four, you know, maybe top five, because normally with 11 teams, the top five get a buy, but like, you know, that's where we want to be. You want to be a winning program that earns a first round by each season. And then, you know, that extra day of rest when you're having to play back-to-back stuff. I mean, it, it matters, I think, long-term. Yeah. The other thing about looking at the standings this year is because like New Mexico has played so few games and then others have, haven't missed any games. And so normally when I look at standings, I just look at the loss column. I'm like, okay, all that matters is the loss column because you can keep winning. And now I look at the loss column. I'm like, no, that's necessarily going to matter because it's about <laughs> winning percentage. And yeah. so then I can get, I can get really confused. Um, I, I wanted to go back to how you're going to play back-to-back games at Air Force. And we did that at Sacramento State. And originally it was just one game, but because of cancellations ended up turning it into two games in two days. And I think that looking back on that now, that's, you you would know this better than me, but I think that that's going to end up helping you because you did get that experience of playing the same team back to back twice in, you know, basically 27 hours. When we scheduled that, I kind of had that in mind that it would help us like for the conference tournament or in a back-to-back situations. Um, And at that time, I think we were really still figuring out like who we were, how we were playing. Um, Letta wasn't available that weekend. And obviously she's a huge part of our team. Um, and other people had to step up. And I thought, you know, E had a huge game for us. The first game, Amaya, had, I think it was Nia, the second game had a really big game. But I love that they understood that it's got to be somebody's night, right? Like somebody has to like step up and be ready to have a great game. And we don't, 
it doesn't always have to be the same person. And I think that's going to be a very similar thing when we play back to back. Somebody might have a big first game or a couple people, but the next game, you know, if Air Force makes adjustments and they key on them or change their defense, other people need to be ready to step up and help our team. And that's just kind of been our MO all year is just like, you know, whoever's whoever's got it going, we're going to be aware and try to get them opportunities and everybody's ready to do it. Let's look back on Boise State and I always think of questions that I forgot to ask you right after the game, <laughs> which just makes this podcast better too. Numerous times in Boise State, there was times where the shot clock is winding down and the ball is in the hands of Amaya. And like, okay, you just got to go one-on-one right now, Amaya. Like there, there's five seconds left or there's four seconds left. And she hit numerous shots where she's just creating for herself. And I feel like her three-point shot is coming around much better than it was early in the mm-hmm. season. And so I wanted to get your opinion on just – how Amaya is able to help you late in shot clocks, not just get off a shot, but get off a good shot and be able to make some shots and how much that really changes the complexion of a game. Yeah. It's been really cool to watch her develop because as a freshman, she was a little more timid on offense and really focused on defense and rebounding. And she's never lost the defense and rebounding focus, but has just continued to grow and add to her offensive toolbox. And now you see her being confident, comfortable, somebody who wants the ball in those situations. And it's all a result of just putting in hard work, you know, and for her not shooting the three early, it was just a matter of time. I thought because she was shooting it well in practice, she gets in the gym and shoots extra because she wants to be a good shooter. Um, But it's just for me, like really fun to watch her now because she's just really developed and she's become like really good, honestly, like offensively. And she was always really good defensively, but to see her be able to be good on both sides of the ball, it's, it's really fun. Um, And obviously Deja is somebody that, you know, in those moments wants the ball too. And so to have another person, so it's not always Deja and even Nia, I mean, Nia and P both have had some moments late in the shot clock where they're not afraid to get the ball in their hands and make a play. And so I love that we have that want that responsibility. They have the skill set to be able to execute it in those moments too. Yeah. Speaking of P and for people who don't know, most do, but that's LaPresa Johnson. When I was looking at some of the the analytics stuff too, her numbers are really high. And I think that that's a a reflection of how she just understands what her game is. Like she could probably shoot 10 three pointers a game, but she looks for a better shot that her mid range game. We talked about that with, with Delina. I think that she's just become someone who just really understands this is what I'm best at. And I'm going to focus on what I'm really good at. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of coaches talk about the greatest players or players that really improve. They have an amazing self-awareness about their game. And I think P really understands what she's good at and she just stays like in that lane. And so at the more she plays now, she's getting she's getting really comfortable being great at what she's good at. And we've talked to our players about that. Like, you don't have to do too much. Just like, what are you good at? What can you bring to our team and go out and be great at it? And I think P is like the shining example of that. All right, Amanda. Good stuff. Uh, Appreciate your time. Thanks once again for the recommendation on Delina. She was fabulous. I know our fans are going to love hearing from her. And um, I think it's going to be great when we can finally have a Hall of Fame ceremony that she can come back to Reno for that uh, once that time is is complete. And uh, so once again, thank you for, uh, for all of that. And uh, good luck this weekend. Sounds good, Josh. Thanks for having me. All right. That is head coach Amanda Levins. This was episode eight of Running with the Pack. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. 
Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.